Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. I hope you really had a really good uh, way to time to ring in the new year and uh, really looking forward to all the things that God will do in 2020. And even as we talked about last week, we talked about uh, hindsight, looking back, seeing what God had done in 2019. And this week, we want to close out our series 2020 by talking about foresight. Now, looking forward, and I know uh, Dave and Annie you know, asked you guys, like, what, what kind of New Year's resolutions did you come up with? What are your aspirations? What are your hopes? What's your perspective when you look forward to this coming year or this coming decade? Right? And we think about decades, like, whoa, 10 years, it goes by really quickly. And I, I just wanted to start with asking us this question of the surrounding this idea of perspective. Why is perspective so important? Why is it so important as we look toward this year 2020? What, why or how does perspective change how we see something? Whether it's the future, this coming year, or, or it could just be a, literally a physical object. Uh, I know many of us, even if we don't do Instagram, even if we're not on social media, even if we're in different generations here, I think we've all probably seen uh, a couple years back, there was this whole viral commotion of the dress. Anyone know what the dress is? Black or blue? And what's the other one? White or gold? So I want to show us the photo, and I think some of you may still be debating, and you might be bitter at the person next to you because you think it's the opposite color. But we have this photo here. How many of you see black or blue? Wow, okay. How many see white or gold? Wow, all the white or golds are outnumbered here today. I'm sorry, I, I just started some commotion and people are getting angry at, at each other right now. But it's so interesting, right? Like, if you watch some videos that are on social media about people arguing whether it's black or blue, white or gold, it's almost as if, you know, you're, you're arguing about the very existence of God. You know, like, God is real, God is not real. Like, it's white or gold or it's black and blue. There was another one. This one was called Shoegate, or a lot of other different names for it. But was this shoe what color? Teal and gray, or pink and white? How many were pink and white? Teal and gray. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say you're wrong. All right, okay, calm down. <laughs> We're going to have a long sermon this morning. <laughs> We're just going to argue all day about whether it's teal or gray or pink and white. But it's quite interesting how different people can have different perspectives about the very same thing. Just something as simple as color. Two Different people sitting in the same room looking at the very same photo could have such a different perspective on the very same thing. 
I wanted to show one more that uh, explains a little bit. Uh, it's not an argument about what color you see, but it, it digs into this idea of color perception. So actually the first uh, photo here, it's going to be a checkerboard with uh, two boxes there, A and B. And if you look at A and B, they look like very, very different colors. If you look at A, it looks like a dark shade of gray. If you look at B, it looks like a lighter shade of gray or, or mixed gray that's a little bit darker than white. But if you look at the following photo, you'll notice that what they do is they actually bridge the two diagram, the two boxes, and you'll notice they're actually the same color. They're actually the same color. And so I'm going to put the photos side by side. <laughs> they're actually this is so if you if you guys don't believe me go look it up look uh, look on google checker uh i think it's checker shadow illusion go download it for yourself open like a photoshop or whatever do color picker and it will be the same color if you really don't believe me so you could do that yourself and you could check it out a and b are actually the same exact color and it's, it's actually a neurological uh, phenomenon in your brain that causes your brain to interpret colors based on the context of what you're looking at. And so to explain the phenomenon, I'm not a neurologist, but I just look <laughs> online and Google. But it's very interesting how perspective can change depending on what you're looking at. So I wanted to show a video, and they talk about the phenomenon of the black and blue dress. Which is, by the way, is actually black and blue. So all you who are white and gold people, you're wrong. Okay? It's actually black and blue. But they're going to explain a little bit about why it's black and blue and how that phenomenon got started. So let's watch, let's watch this together. All right. Some of you still don't believe the checker illustration. You need to go look it up on Google afterward. All right. But I, I think I don't know if you caught what the neuroscience uh, person was saying at the end, but she was kind of talking about how your brain makes up whatever it wants to see, depending on the context. So really what matters when you think about perspective, when you're thinking about whether it's a physical object or whether it's a future reality, what really matters is your perspective more than anything else. It's how you view the world that's really going to dictate what you see and how you actually look forward. And that's what we want to talk about as we talk about foresight is that we, as we look forward to 2020, as we look forward to this year, what kind of perspective are we looking at this coming year with? Not if it's black or blue or white or gold, but what kind of perspective do we have? Is it one that is focused on God? Is it one that's focused on ourselves, Or something totally different? Because the perspective of what we see about the future is going to drastically change how we actually take steps toward that future. Uh, this quote by Tim Keller, I think he, he captured this really succinctly. He says, how you experience your present is completely shaped by what you believe your ultimate future to be. How you experience your present is completely shaped by what you believe your ultimate future to be. So as we look into this passage, we're going to look at Numbers 13, chapter 13, verse 25, all the way through chapter 14, verse 10. And I'm going to look at this story to talk about how it is that we look into the future 
and how we see our future, how that dictates how we move forward in our present today, starting January 5th for the rest of the year in 2020. There are two things that we need to keep in mind when we think about having foresight in 2020. So hopefully you've turned to Numbers 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on with the person next to you. I want to encourage you also to download the mobile app. Uh, You can also follow along with the sermon notes and you can see what it is that we're going through. We'll have the passages there as well as some fill-in-the-blank notes. So there are two things that we have to keep in mind. The first thing I want to share with us is that we need to be looking inward. Or this is something that we often do. We look inward when we look forward. Uh, Well, let's read together Numbers 13, verses 20. Let's start with 25 through 33. And this passage happens in in the Old Testament. It's actually a story about the Israelites as they are just almost getting to the promised land. They end up sending uh, a bunch of spies out to the promised land to be able to scope out what's going on because they had just come out of Egypt. They had just come out of slavery and God was bringing them to the place uh, where they're supposed to go. And so this story picks up right after the spies come back. In verse 25 it says, And the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land, the which we have gone to spy out, it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. I'll stop right there and just look at these couple of verses first. Uh, we look in verses 25 to 29, it gives us the context, the report of the spies that they brought back. So after they had gone, we don't know exactly how long, they say 40 days, but that was just a unit of time usually used in the Bible. Their report can be whittled down to two things. They said, the land, it flows with milk and honey, but also that the people are very strong. The people are very fierce. And so what we want to talk about as we look into really the, the verse 30 through 33 is the perspective of the spies. The perspective of Caleb and the spies and how it is that they make such different and opposite assessments of the right direction to move forward into. And we see that in verses 30 to 31. If we look on one side, Caleb, Caleb was one of the spies who went out. He says they believe, he believes that they were able to overcome the land. They were able to go in and conquer and be there and actually settle into the promised land that Israel had rightfully Uh, had inheritance to because of God's promise. The other spies, which were the ten others, uh, said, we can't overcome the obstacles. And the question is, 
Why do these spies make such a different assessment and conclusion than Caleb? Like we talked about in the introduction, how is it that Caleb saw white and gold, but the spies saw black and white, black and blue? Right? Where did they, they saw the exact same thing, but they came to such different conclusions. Well, when we look into it, there are four statements that the spies make that help us to understand where their perspective came from. And we'll see how that they were looking inward. There are four statements. I'm going to group these four statements into two categories each. So let's look at the first two statements together. The first two, the one statement that they mention is, they say, for they are stronger than we are. For they are stronger than we are. And we realize that this is a statement of comparison. The second statement they mention, number two, is that they say, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. This is a statement of self-deprecation, of assessment of one's own stature or ability. It's not a humble posture. It's not a, not a, not one of those like, oh yeah, you know, in, in culture when you're either at work with someone or you're in a group project, you know how people tend to say, oh yeah, I'm not that great. Like, oh, it was all that other person. But deep and down inside, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm, I, I could do all things. It's not that kind of attitude, not that kind of perspective. It's not a real humble posture, but it's genuinely a feeling of, I'm not good enough. I, I, I can't do anything. And this is the posture of the spies as they went into the promised land. And this is not a perspective of a winner or a victor or someone who's able to actually conquer the land. Can, can you imagine a competitor in the Olympics? who's getting ready to, to have a competition for the gold medal. And then the person interviewing them says, how are you feeling? What do you, what do you feel like are your chances to winning this gold? And the person, can you imagine if the person says, you know, I don't know. That other guy right there, he's a lot better than I am. I don't stand a chance. You know what? I might as well quit and give up now. You know, can you imagine that? Like, that, that just, it just doesn't make sense for you to be a competitor with, with a real shot at winning the competition and, and those words coming out of your mouth to have that kind of perspective. It's a very inward-focused perspective. It's a perspective that doesn't help when you look toward the future in the moment, in the present, and the obstacles that you're facing. Uh, I, uh, I grew up playing a lot of tennis. And actually, when I went back uh, home this time around just to you know, spend some time with family, like literally right after I landed at 7 a.m. Uh, at the airport, and I found out that day my parents were like, "Oh, by the way, uh, you're, you're signed up. We signed you up for a Chinese family tennis tournament." <laughs> I was like, "What? Why?" Because <laughs> my family, my whole family, they love tennis and they play a lot, and we ended up playing for five hours that day. I was like jet lagged and tired. Uh, but I appreciate it. it was a good time with family, but it's because they play. We play so much tennis. And so they thought that I wanted to play for five hours, I guess. <laughs> but I, re- I remember going back, and I've been back to uh, the U.S. a couple times, and every time I go home, I play tennis. Um, because I think growing up, I played tennis for about 10 years. And I played in the high school team. I was varsity. We played states. And I, I, I felt like I was pretty decent at that time, and we you know, won a couple championships. So like that was awesome. But then after that time, uh, after I started college, I didn't play. And I didn't play for like five, ten years or so after university. 
And so every single time I would go back home to play, you know, like after you play for something for so long, you feel like you, you should be able to get back into it. But sometimes you're just rusty. It doesn't really work out the way that you want to. And I started realizing every single time I would go back to play, like some of the strokes that I used to be able to hit no problem, all of a sudden I would totally forget how to hit them. And I would be so frustrated and so angry that like I would start to really question or doubt if I ever really was able to hit that stroke in the first place. Like I remember going back and playing this match with, again, these were like uh, old Chinese families, like, I, like my generation versus my parents' generation. So I'm playing with like 56 year olds and I'm like, these guys, they don't know how to play. I should be able to beat them like really easily, right? But I'll be sitting there returning a serve and then the stroke that I had a lot of problem with was my backhand. So every single time they would serve to my backhand, I would try to hit, but every single time, I don't know, this is getting too technical into tennis, but like I would always hit the rim of the racket. And if you know, if you've ever played any racket sport, when you hit the rim of the racket, it like doesn't go anywhere where you want it to go. And so I get so frustrated, I'm like, God, why, why? I don't know why I was asking God why I'm hitting the rim of the racket. But I was like so anxious and so worried. And I started to begin to say these things to myself, like every single time they would serve to me and I was getting ready to hit my back and I would say things like, I'm going to miss it again. Like, oh, it's just, it's just not going to go well. So I might as well just like try to run around it and hit my forehand instead. You know, like I just had that kind of mentality. And then somewhere along the line, I don't know, again, I, I don't know why I connected this to God, but I said, God, please, like help me learn to hit a backhand again. I realized in that moment, I realized I was repeating these things to myself over and over again. I was repeating the phrase, I can't hit a backhand. Oh, it's going to go out as soon as I try to hit it again. I might as well try to hit my forehand because it's not going to work out. And I realized in that moment that I was being so self-deprecating, I was so anxious, so worried about how my backhand was so bad that that made me even more anxious and worried every single time I went to hit a backhand and inevitably it would constantly go out. But then in that moment, I don't know why, but I just said, okay, God, help me to abide <laughs> to hit this backhand right now. So I said, Lord, please, I cannot hit this backhand right now, but I believe that you can help me. <laughs> And I don't know, I just stopped worrying about whether or not I would get the backhand in or not. But I said, you know what, this is just, it's just for fun. You know, I just want to play, I just want to be relaxed. And all of a sudden, I started hitting my backhands back again. It was amazing, it was really incredible. Praise yes, praise God for the backhand. <laughs> I know it's like a ridiculous, random, you know, like it's not like we're aspiring all to hit wonderful backhands in life. But I realized with something so trivial, you know, like hitting backhands, I realized it was a deep spiritual lesson for myself that when sometimes we, we deprecate ourselves, we, we automatically assume that we cannot do something. It changes the very present reality of how we see things in the future. It changes what we're able to do or what not we're not able to do. And that was the exact problem that the spies had. So when they looked at themselves, they saw themselves, they said, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. They're saying, I, f I feel like a grasshopper compared to all these people. And th they said, they're stronger than we. They th from the very beginning, they've had this mentality of, I can't. I'm not good enough. And I'm wondering how many of us, when we look forward to this year, when we look forward to some of the challenges and things that we're going to have to go through, those are some of the phrases that come up into our mind. It's too hard for me. Someone else is better than me. 
There's no point in even trying. Uh, I, I must be wrong. I, I'm unable. I'm incompetent. Those are things that play through our minds over and over again. Because it's all about comparison. It's all about self-deprecation. Our eyes are all on ourselves. And don't think it's just the self-deprecating side. The pride is the other side, which is just as much of your eyes on yourself as someone who is insecure. Or someone who says that, oh, I'm so great, I can do everything right. In the Bible, we see that God always opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in many ways, pride is the, the, the different side of the exact same coin that will cause us to have the wrong perspective if we look into the future. So those are the two first categories. Let's look at the second two. Numbers three and four, the other phrases that the spies use. Number three, it says, a land that devours its inhabitants. A land that devours its inhabitants. As we see, this is an exaggerated fear that the spies had. The fourth one, they mention, they say, the people that we saw in it are of great height. Which if we categorize that, it's, it's a focus on the obstacles. A sincere focus on the obstacles that they were facing. It's interesting that they categorize the land as a land that devours its inhabitants. Because if you look at the report, back in the first few verses that we read, they describe the land as what? A land flowing with milk and honey. So the question is, where do, where do they get that characterization? Where do they somehow see that the land devours its inhabitants? And, I, and, I, and when I was thinking about it, I, you know what? This is really similar to different... Um, Different, I don't know, like fears or exaggerated rumors that, you know, our parents' generation or just the older generation would constantly uh, share with us when we were young. I, like, like um, there was something that my mom would tell me, like, whenever, after I went to college and I started, like, making my own food, you know, she would say things like, don't eat any red meat. I'm like, why? You're going to get high blood pressure. Oh, really? Don't eat any chicken. Why? There's growth hormones inside. Okay. <laughs> Don't eat any fish. Why? There's mercury inside. I'm like, well, I can't eat any meat then. You know, like, what? Like, okay, all the, you know, the, my, my mom's part of these, like, WeChat groups. And, like, you know, like, they pass those articles and, you know, about, oh, if you do this thing, you're going to get cancer, right? Like, all those kind of things. They just blow it out of proportion, right? And maybe I'll, you know, get can oh, Please, Lord, I don't want that. Or like things like, oh, if you play too many video games when you're young, like you're gonna get, you're gonna go blind, right? You're gonna have to wear glasses for the rest of your life. But my brother played like so many hours more video games than I do, and he has perfect 2020 vision, right? So I'm bitter and angry. I'm like, that's not true. And I, and I realize that sometimes when we exaggerate the fears or the obstacles that come into our lives, that also is another sign of us looking inward or just looking at the things that we can or cannot do in our day-to-day -day lives. And th these are the things that come into our minds. We, we say, oh, I can't do that, or that's going to be too hard, or I'm not going to be able to get through that because this consequence is going to happen. Right? Some of us, are we're, we're praying about going on a missions project. And you're like, oh, man, if I go on missions, then I'm not going to get that internship, and I can't find a job. And I'm going to be homeless, and I'm going to be begging on the streets. You know, like things like that, you know? And you're like, where did that come from? Like, is that actually true? Or, or you know, as, as we're working, right? If I don't get this project done, then my boss is going to fire me. And I'm not going to be able to, like, make any kind of money. I'm going to be bankrupt the next month. You know, like, like, exaggerated fears that just come out like that. You might not share that exact one. Or, or, or if, my, if I don't 
if my kid doesn't get into this school or go to this activity, then their future is going to be ruined for the rest of their lives, and they're not going to go to college. And, and we start to repeat these things in our lives that we either, we either focus so much on the, the fear, the exaggeration, or we, or we inflate these obstacles or these consequences in our lives. And for the spies, they were the giants, the, the big people that we can't overcome. And for us, what are those giants? What are those obstacles? What are those fears that come up? Some of us, it's like the BRP, like the BRP, the Bible reading plan. It's been so hard the first five days, and I already missed a couple days. You're like, oh my, I just might as well just give up because I already missed a couple days. Or it could be a multitude of other things. What are those fears? What are those obstacles that become so big in our minds? that cause us to focus so much on ourselves that prevents us from actually taking steps forward. So comparison, self-deprecation, exaggerated fears, focus on the obstacles. I mean, these are all things that I think if we were to ask all of you, these are things that God doesn't want for us. But just to be explicit, let's look at the results of what happens when we do look inward. I want to read Numbers 14, 1 through 4. What are the results of looking inward? Let's read it together. Sorry, I'll read it by myself. You guys can listen. <laughs> Numbers 14, 1 through 4. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I'll just quickly list out four results that we see and explain why this is so important to be explicit about it. The first one is we see weeping and distress. Verse 1. They were crying, they were weeping that night. Second thing we see is regret and disillusionment in verse 2. They were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, and they were regretting that, like, we should never have left Egypt. We should have just died there. And this is really interesting because of the circumstances that they left Egypt in. These were the same people that had left Egypt and that were delivered by God from Pharaoh in Exodus 3. Verses 78, 7 to 8, and 9b, read together the highlighted parts. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And this is God speaking. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then 9b, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with, with, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. This was back in Exodus. This was back when they were suffering in slavery, when Pharaoh was, was pretty much creating the worst conditions for them to live in. And then all of a sudden we see in Numbers, they were saying, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. It would have been better for us to suffer there. For them to go and go 180 degrees to say, Lord, deliver us from Pharaoh, to now go back to say, oh, it would have been better, was a 180-degree turn. 
and shows you that they had so much regret, so much disillusionment from what God had promised them. Third one, doubt and anger. We see that in verse 3. They ask, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? They don't trust Him anymore. And in fact, they're, they're angry. They're saying, you know, God, essentially they're accusing God of, of putting their wives and their little ones into danger. And then the fourth one we see in verse 4 is rebellion. The very end, they say, hey, let's go, let's, let's pick someone else. Moses and Aaron, they're not leading us well. Let's pick someone else and go back to Egypt. Because following God is not what we want to do. That's the result of looking inward. It's weeping, it's regret, disillusionment, doubt, anger, and then ultimately rebellion. And I know some of us, when we think about like all these things, whether it's looking inward, whether it's comparison, you know, we're like, I think we all agree, oh, those are not things that we want to do because it's going to harm uh, how we look into the future. It's not going to go well for us. It's going to impact our future career. It's going to impact our future family. It's going to impact how we live it, our lives out as students. But I'm wondering if some of us, we realize that looking inward and the results of that is actually direct rebellion and sin against God. Like some of us, I think we're very agreeable in the sense of like, oh, this is not something good that we want to do. But like to the extent where it's, you know, it's direct rebellion and sin against God. I don't know if we genuinely get to that point of realizing we're sinning against God when we have this kind of perspective. I think we need to learn to see that sin is not something just bad for ourselves, but it's actually abhorrent and detestable to God. And actually, we deserve nothing but the wrath of God because of the perspective, because of the inward perspective that we have, which ultimately is selfishness. And because the Israel, we're like, oh, you know, the Israelites didn't have that perspective, didn't have the greatest perspective. Well, you know, let's just get over it and move on with life. But God was not okay with that. And in fact, at the end of this passage, after this passage, when God realizes they have this perspective, he says something very harsh. In Numbers 14, 11 to 12, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier. This is the stuff that we don't like to hear. This is the stuff where God says, screw all the people. I'm going to kill all of them. I'm going to start anew with Moses. Literally, God was going to just destroy all of them right there. And none of us like to hear the bad news, but this is the bad news is that all of us deserve death. All of us deserve God's wrath. All of us deserve nothing but the worst. Because we are rotten to the core. Because on the inside, all we do is look at ourselves, look at our selfishness. We think all about ourselves. And not only is it bad for our future, but it is abhorrent sin to God. And until we realize that, until we recognize that, we're never going to be able to look outside of ourselves. We're never going to be able to turn away from looking inward to looking towards something else. And that's why I want to invite us to repent this morning. 
if some of those things are perspectives that we have, it's all about ourselves, it's all about how we look inward, then we need to somehow say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. We need to admit that it's not just something that we have to change about ourselves so that we can get a better future, but it's actually something that we've sinned against, God, that we have to apologize, we have to repent for, we have to turn around and say, God, Lord, help me. Lord, I've sinned against you, and I need to turn back to you. That's what happens when we look inward. That's why we can't look inward when we look at the future. But what's the other alternative? We look at Numbers 14, the rest of the passage, we'll see that the alternative is looking upward. Not outward, but upward. Let's continue on and read Numbers 14, verses 5 through 10. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who, was, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. We notice here that Caleb's perspective is very, very different. The spies, right? So every you saw the percentage of white and gold. He's like the you know the one percent. He sees he sees orange and green or something like that. Like totally different. You know, it's worlds apart from every single other person. He's like him and Joshua are the only people who state something different than what the spies do. So if we look back into Numbers thirteen and verse thirty, we notice that Caleb was really bold. He spoke out. He quieted all the people and said, "Hey, let us go up and occupy it." For we're able to overcome it. He sees something else that no one else sees. And the question is how? What did he see? How was he able to see it? There are two things that Caleb does and he says that help us to understand where that perspective comes from. The first one is that Caleb reaffirms the original description of the land. That's it. All he does is he reaffirms the original description of the land that was reported by the spies. He calls the land a land flowing with, with milk and honey. It's an exceedingly good land, a land that flows with milk and honey. We see that in verse 8. He's looking upward. He sees what God sees. He's simply reinforcing what God had called the land before in Exodus. We see in Exodus 3.8, God was speaking to Moses. This is when the Israelites, again, they were in Egypt and suffering. And they were crying out like, Lord, please deliver us. And then Moses was in some other place with, uh, because he had fled Egypt. And God had appointed Moses to deliver the Israelites away from Egypt. And so now Exodus 3.8, God is speaking to Moses. He says this. And read it together in the highlight. It says, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptian, speaking about the Israelites, and to bring them up out of the land, that land, to a good and broad land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That phrase right there again is repeated. A land flowing with milk and honey. So it's interesting. Way back in Exodus 3, before Moses has any idea that that he was going to lead the Israelites to this promised land, God says, I'm going to take you, Moses, and I'm going to use you to bring the Israelites to a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then in Numbers 13, we see the spies go out and they see the promised land. And they, the report that comes back is what? It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And now, even though all the other spies are saying it's a land that devours its inhabitants, Caleb, what does he does, do? He sees what God sees. He says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. He's looking upward. He's seeing something different. He's seeing what God sees. And it's not flippant that he uses that exact language. He's trying to, if if we were reading this, if we're in the old Jewish times, the Jews who would read that, they would know. They would recognize that language to saying, oh, it's reinforcing the promises that God had promised them from times of old. A question for us is, do we remember What is it that God has promised to us? Do we recognize the things that God has for us? Whether it's in scripture, his promises for us, that we are his people, that we are loved, that we are cared for, that he will take care of us. Even the individual promises that God has given to us, whether it's from last year's One Desire Fast, or maybe it was from a retreat. Maybe it was just a personal prayer time that you had where God spoke to you and said, you know what, I want to go, I want you to go forward in this direction and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of your family. I'm going to provide for them. Maybe some of us, we took steps of faith last year and we feel like, God, where are you? And we start to doubt and we start to question. Or maybe we've forgotten what he promised us beforehand. That he wants us to remember, to reiterate You know what? I'm bringing you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You don't see it. It looks to you like a land that's devouring its inhabitants, but really it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Personally, for me, entering 2020 has been actually really tough. Um, Going back to spend time with my family, I think, um, you know, like everything kind of, came together at one point, you know, like I, I think 2019 had a really rough uh, year of work and there were just so many frustrations, so many things I didn't like about it and so, and, and like ministry was hard and, you know, I think I was getting discouraged 2019 more than any other year that I was just like starting to wonder like, God, are you doing anything in my family or not? And so going back this time around, you know, I think I was dreading having some tough conversations with my parents and I don't want to talk about future, I didn't want to talk about because you know, they're pre-Christian and they don't really believe in God. And, you know, part of me is like, okay, I'm trying to do all these things. But I feel like the more I take steps toward what God wants me to do, the more uh, it seems like it distances them from what God is doing. And so when I was going back, I was like kind of dreading it and like kind of just wondering, God, like it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And uh, when Eric and I were going back, we des- devised this plan. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas with our families together. And so I was like, oh, maybe we can like devise this plan since it's Christmas and Christmas Eve like service in the U.S. is like a cultural thing. And so therefore, maybe I could just like, 
like get them to come with me to a church service and then they'll somehow experience God and like get closer to knowing God. So we tried that, but then as I was bringing it up with my uh, parents, um, one of them, I won't say which one, they were very opposed to it. Like, no, I'm, you know, this is, I don't want to go. And then, like, no matter how many times uh, I tried to explain, they're like, nah, not really. Not. So I, I don't know. It just reinforced a lot of the discouragement that I had felt about my family and where, where they were going and what God was doing in their lives. And so Christmas Eve passed. We didn't end up going um, to any church. And I was like, okay, that was my one opportunity this whole break because we only had like a week with my side of the family. And then out of the blue, I don't know, it was like a Thursday uh, Thursday after Christmas Eve. And then out of the blue, uh, one of my parents suddenly just out of the blue just said, hey, do you want to go to church with us? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I looked at Erica and then like we were sitting there. She's she like, yeah, yeah, we want, like, of course, we want to go to church together. And then... I was like, sure, like, I don't know, like, what is it, where is it? And then, like, it didn't explain that much, but I guess apparently uh, some of the people that my parents play tennis, the same people that they dragged us, <laughs> me out to play tennis with them before, like, apparently some of them, they, they all go to the same church. And they invited my parents out, like, some of the, one of the couples invited my parents out to the church celebration, uh, church, I guess it was an outreach dinner. So we went together on Saturday, and lo and behold, at the church gathering, I mean, we were blessed, it was a good time, and lo and behold, Actually, one of, uh, one of my friends in university that I went to U of M with, their parents was at that church gathering that I went to. It was crazy. They're, they're like leading a Chinese church and like trying to start a new church plant in like this other area. And they invited my parents out and we connected with them and tried to connect them with my parents. And I don't know, I just, after that evening, I just sat there kind of stunned. And I don't know, after the word, I, I realized, you know what, God, like, I've been so focused on myself that I don't remember the promises and the things that you had been doing in my parents from so many years back. It's just been like this past year or two years that I just kind of given up hope or just felt like there's not much happening. But just be able to be there and witness and see how God is still working even outside of my imagination, outside of the things that I understand was incredible to experience. And I realized, wow, God, you are so faithful. Your promises are true. The things that you spoke to me about, all the prayers that I lifted up before for my family, it's not like they're going to waste. Actually, God is doing something actively in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And I, I don't know, when I was just thinking about that, I realized, you know what? Like God, I, I want to have this perspective instead of, instead of making up my own image of my family's future to be able to see God's image of my family's future, a land flowing of milk and honey where God is working in them in different ways. So I want to encourage us to, to think about what, it, what kind of view that we have of our future. Is it really, again, an inward one, or are we looking upward toward God as we see that? So that was the first thing that Caleb did. He reaffirmed the original description of the land. The second and last thing that he uh, said, or he did, Caleb believes that God will bring them into the land and that God is with them. That's the second thing that he does. And why is this so significant? Because in that time, God's presence is equivalent to God's provision and is equivalent to God's protection. God's presence was very, very significant. And if you notice in verse 9, Caleb uses this phrase very specifically, their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Their protection there is referring to the inhabitants of the land. He's talking about all the scary big monster people who they're afraid of. 
He's saying their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. So pretty much what he's saying is their gods don't matter, don't exist, won't help them. And he says, but God is with us and he's going to help us and he's going to allow us to overcome. He's going to allow us to conquer anything and everything that will come our way. And again, he was looking what? Upward. There's nothing about like, oh, we're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We're not powerful enough. They're too powerful. No, he says, God is with us and that's enough. That's all that we need. That's all that we can look forward to. And it's when we have that perspective, we're looking upward that, man, anything is possible with God. How many of us we have that kind of perspective? That no matter what obstacles, what challenges, what goals, what aspirations that we set looking forward to 2020, how many of us were saying, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my perspective. It's not about my ability, my competence. It's about God. It's about His ability, His perspective, His presence, His protection, His provision that we count on. God is with us. And He reiterated this throughout. This is not just a theme just for the Israelites in this time. It's a theme throughout the whole Bible. We see in Joshua 1.9, some of us, we love this verse. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He's going to be with us. He was with the Israelites as they were going into the promised land. Matthew 28, 19-20. This is the Great Commission. This is where... You know, your life group leaders are saying, go make disciples. And you're like, I can't. I don't know how. I don't know what I'm doing. It's too hard. Family life is too tough. Working life is too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. God doesn't care about any of that. God doesn't care what challenges or struggles you have. Let's read what he says. What does he encourage us with? In verse 19, let's read it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He doesn't assure you that everything's going to be okay. He doesn't assure you that everything's going to work out the way that you want it to. He doesn't assure you that you're going to be strong enough. He doesn't assure you that you're going to have enough patience or energy or strength. He assures you, He assures us, He assures me, that he's going to be with us to the very end of the age. And that's all we need. That's the perspective that we need, looking upward. To be able to say, you know what, God, this is exactly what I need. I need you more than anyone else. Not myself, not someone else. I need you. And I'll encourage some of us. Some of us are dreading this coming One Desire Fast. Like, no social media, no Instagram. I mean, families are like, who cares about Instagram? But the rest of us are like, oh my God, no Instagram. No social media. What am I going to do? Well, like, I can't, I've never gone a single day without a meal before. I've never fasted a meal. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't go without food. For some of us, we've been through the one desire fast before. We're like, oh, I don't want to ever go through that again. But again, what's our focus and what's our perspective when we make those statements? It's all about us. 
But I'm wondering if we could shift our perspective to say, you, you know what, God, I can't wait to spend more time with you. I can't wait to, to not just not eat, but instead of eating, spending that time with your word, with your, with your presence, listening to your music, spending time in prayer, because, man, that's so enriching, and that's going to give me the confidence I need to move forward this year. Because I know many of us, we're making big decisions this coming year. We're trying to figure out where's our family going to go in the next season. We're trying to figure out what's our next career option. Are we going to stay at this place for the rest of our lives or are we going to move on to something bigger? We're trying to figure out what am I going to do after I graduate? Trying to figure out should I go on mission, should I not? What better way to look forward to those things, those decisions, those life stage adjustments than saying, God, I want to be in your presence for 11 days. And if it means I just give up social media just for a little bit of that time, I skip a couple meals, and I spend that time focusing on you, then why would we not want to do that? Let's look upward as we think about fasting and going deeper with God, trusting in Him, and believing that as we look upward, that's going to give us the perspective that we need to move into this new year. Henry Nguyen, in a book called Here and Now, he writes, when I trust deeply that today God is truly with me and holds me in a safe, holds me safe in a divine embrace, guiding every one of my steps, I can let go of my anxious need to know how tomorrow will look or what will happen next month or next year. I can be fully where I am and pay attention to the many signs of God's love within me and around me. He's not saying forget about the future. He's not saying don't ever think about it. But he's saying you don't have to be anxious about it. And when you look toward it, you can look toward it with this encouragement and affirmation that God is always with you, no matter what steps you do take. That God's love is going to be with us and around us. Now, ultimately, the difference is whether or not our eyes are looking inward or upward. And I want to just close out with this verse. Paul, he did the same thing. And he gives us an encouragement in the book of Philippians in verse 3, uh, verse 12 to 14. In the ESV, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We didn't read the, the couple of verses before that, but what Paul is talking about, the obtaining this or I'm already perfect, but pressing on to make it his own, is actually that relationship with Christ. And that relationship with Christ he's actually referring to is actually the suffering of Christ on the cross. Like the understanding of the suffering of, the, of Christ on the cross and what that means for us as Christ followers. And I think it's so appropriate when we think about looking forward and we think about looking upward. That our first, the where we start with is Jesus Christ at the cross. Because we recognize, you know what God, I've been looking so far inward that man, all these sins, I deserve nothing but God's wrath. I deserve nothing but God's punishment. I deserve nothing but death, I deserve nothing but separation from God from the rest of my life. 
But instead, what God gives us is his son. He gives us God with us. Emmanuel, we talked about that the last couple of weeks. He gives us God with us. And because we have God with us, we have forgiveness of sins for, from Jesus Christ on the cross that allows us to say, you know what? Now I could press on. I can move forward. I can look upward. And I can know that what I'm running forward toward is the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's toward God more than anything else. And that's what I'm hoping as a church we can run and look forward to as we look forward to 2020 together. That's why the one thing for this morning is godly foresight is not looking inward, but upward to move forward. It's not looking inward, but upward to move forward. I'm going to give us the next steps, some practical things uh, for this morning. First one is just repent for looking inward. Repent for, for looking inward. Uh, if, if you're not really sure what repentance really looks like, then ask someone who has been through it, who understands. Talk to your life group leader. Talk to someone who's a little bit farther in their faith. Uh, a good framework to use is sometimes we share in our church something called four R's, where you, you realize, you realize your sin, you repent, repenting meaning turning back, saying, God, I'm sorry, and saying, God, I want to I follow you. You receive, you receive God's love, you realize, you know what, God, man, you're, you've been so good to me. And you recommit to him. Say, God, I want to I follow you again. I want to make my life about you more than anything else. For all those four things. Realize, repent, receive, recommit. And that's a process of repentance that will be good. If we realize most of 2019 was about ourselves, say, God, I want to make 2020 all about you. The second thing, turn and look upward. And I was trying to think of something practical, but I realized... It's not practical. It's just a perspective shift. Our perspective needs to look at God. We have to think about who God is, what God is doing. To say, you know what, God, your promises are here. God, I know you're with, with me. It's not something that we necessarily do, but it's a mindset. To say, you know what, and ultimately it's a choice. Sometimes we can sit there and like mope around and be like, oh my God, this is, everything is not going well. Or we can decide to say, you know what, God, I'm going to start focus, stop focusing on myself. I'm going to stop pitying myself. I'm going to look at you. It's a perspective shift. So turn and look upward. The last thing is set goals for 2020. Set goals for 2020. As we look forward, as we look upward, then there are going to be some things that God is wanting us to do. There's going to be some ways that God wants us to grow. And I know for those New Year's resolution buffs, we're like, yeah, I'm going to work out. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to like do all this reading and all that kind of stuff. But let's say, you know what, God, what are the goals? What are the aspirations? What are the things that you want me to, you want me to experience, to grow and to develop in? Not my goals, not my hopes, your goals, your hopes. What things that you want me to do to experience you in a deeper way? And if one of those is participating with us in the One Desire Fast, I pray that that would be a great opportunity for us to grow deeper with God together. Let's stand together as we close and respond. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.